Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means that you'll hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's September 5th. The word hippies, as we usually use it today, was used in writing for the first time on this day in 1965. So hippies, I'm using that to mean part of the subculture that started in the 1960s, peaked in the 1970s, associated with things like long hair, beads, psychedelic colors, black lights, expanding one's consciousness through drug use and events like the Summer of Love and Woodstock. The word hippies, to mean people who were part of this movement, first appeared in a series by Michael Fallon that ran in the San Francisco Examiner. This first installment was about the Blue Unicorn Coffee House in San Francisco. It ran under the headline, A New Paradise for Beatniks, and the first sentence began, Five untroubled young hippies sprawled on floor mattresses and slouched in an armchair retrieved from a debris box. The word hippies in that sentence was in quotes. Of course, people were saying hippies to mean this before it was ever written down in this way. The word comes from the words hip or hep, which people started using around 1903 and 1904. Hip, H-I-P, and hep, H-E-P, have morphed meanings over the years, meaning fashionable and in the know, and then morphing into the word hepcat, which combined those earlier meanings to mean somebody who is knowledgeable and fashionable and into jazz music. And then hipster took on a similar meaning to hip and hep and hepcat, and of course, now means something totally different today. At first, the word hippie sort of meant fake hipster. And then when that Michael Fallon article came along, he was using hippie as a synonym for beatnik. Beatnik was the name used for people who were part of the Beat Generation and followers of the Beat Generation. It also got its first use in writing in a newspaper. That was a column in the San Francisco Chronicle on April 2nd, 1958. The Beat Generation was a bohemian social and literary movement. It combined poetry and other writing with Zen Buddhism and jazz and the idea of breaking out of traditional literary structures and social expectations. The Beat Generation is considered to be sort of one step before the hippies, basically the hippies' precursor. And Norman Mailer had used the word hipster to describe the Beat Generation as well. So hip, hippie, and hipster are just such great examples of how one word's meaning can really morph so much over just a few decades. Today, the word hippie is often associated with anti-war activism and looking back on the movement against the Vietnam War. But at the time, people who were described as hippies often weren't thought of as being politically active. Some aspects of that counterculture movement that spawned the word hippie in the 1960s, though, are still associated with the term today. So even if you don't think of hippies as being connected to Woodstock and psychedelic colors and drug use, you might think of people you would describe as hippies as pacifists or into vegetarianism 
or into organic food and holistic medicine, those were also part of the same counterculture movement. So sometimes if you're describing your friend who likes to go to the health food store and pick out a bunch of organic vegetables to make a vegan entree for everyone as a hippie, it's connected to that earlier movement, but a slightly different flavor from how the word was used back in the 1960s and 70s. Thanks so much to Christopher Hasiotis for his research work on today's episode. And thanks to Tari Harrison for her audio work on this show. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a massacre. Hi, I'm Eves. And welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was September 5th, 1945. Soviet cipher clerk Igor Guzenka left the Soviet embassy in Ottawa, Ontario, carrying more than 100 secret documents. During World War II, Canada and the Soviet Union became allies. Ottawa was an important site for the GRU, which was the main intelligence directorate of the USSR's general staff. Guzenka was an intelligence officer working at the GRU headquarters in Moscow. In 1943, he was sent to Ottawa. His official title was civilian employee of the Soviet embassy at Ottawa, but he was actually a cipher clerk on the staff of the military attaché, Colonel Nikolai Zabotin. It was Guzenka's job to deal with transmissions to and from Moscow. His wife, Svetlana, moved to Canada with him a few months after he arrived in Ottawa. Guzenka was impressed with life in Ottawa, where he found that his quality of life was better than it was in the Soviet Union. In Canada, there were democratic elections, freedom of speech, and better living conditions. In comparison, life under Soviet rule and conditions at the Soviet embassy were oppressive. Guzenka also found out that the GRU and the People's Commissariat of Internal Affairs, which also led intelligence activities, were using the embassy as a headquarters from which they conducted espionage activities against Canada. Zabotin had been ordered to keep his spy rings secret from the Soviet ambassador, Georgi Zarubin. The Soviet Union was not simply an ally of Canada. In 1944, Zabotin unexpectedly told Guzenka that he and his wife and his son were being sent back to Moscow. He had his departure delayed, but he knew that the reasons for his dismissal could not be good, and he feared the situation he may return to in Moscow. Disenchanted with the Soviet Union and attracted to life in Canada, Guzenka began planning his defection. He copied or took documents that he believed Canadian officials would be interested in. On September 5th, 1945, he left the embassy carrying telegrams sent to and received from Moscow and many other documents. That day and the next, he took his documents and story of Soviet espionage to the Minister of Justice, the Ottawa Journal, and the Ottawa Magistrates Court. But they turned him away. On the night of September 6th, 
he and his family hid in a neighbor's apartment while Soviet agents raided his home. Another neighbor called the Ottawa police, who confronted the Soviet agents and got them to leave. With the help of Norman Robertson, who was the Undersecretary of State for the Department of External Affairs, Guzenka was taken to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police headquarters the next morning for questioning. Guzenka gave the RCMP documents detailing the Soviets' espionage efforts in Canadian government departments and in Western atomic research projects. Prime Minister Mackenzie King was initially hesitant and unsure of Guzenka's motives. But just two days after he defected, Guzenka and his family were given political asylum and put in protective custody, where they continued to be questioned. Guzenka's documents revealed that there was a large-scale system of Soviet espionage through which the Soviets provided Moscow with classified information. News of the Guzenka affair, as it became known, went public in early February 1946. A royal commission was called to investigate the accusations, which led to the arrest of 39 suspects. 18 of those people were convicted. Zabotin was sent to a labor camp in Siberia. The Soviet government admitted that it obtained certain secret information from Canadians, but said that the information was useless. The Guzenka affair encouraged distrust of the Soviet Union and inspired anti-communist sentiment in the West. The affair has been credited as an inciting incident of the Cold War. Guzenka lived under police protection with his family in Canada for the rest of his life. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If there are any upcoming days in history that you'd really like me to cover on the show, give us a shout on social media at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Thanks for joining me on this trip through history. See you here, same place tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.